What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Ponko Chicken. Ponko Chicken, if you did not already know, is a unique spin on Japanese and Western cuisine. Uh, there are stores, if you're not familiar, um, all around the Atlanta area. Uh, there's one in Marietta now. There's one in Buckhead. There's one in Shambly. There's one in uh, Midtown. They're popping up everywhere because Ponko is awesome and uh, they're like family. So um, go check out Ponko if you have not already. It is the home of the award-winning Japanese American Chicken Tender just to brag on them a little bit more, they were Verizon Super Bowl Live top-selling vendor, three-peat Taste of Atlanta award winner, um, Midtown Alliance Best Taste winner. Just they won all the awards because Ponco is great and Ponco is delicious. So if you are in the Atlanta area and are looking to try something new and good and delicious, go check out Ponco Chicken today and tell them that I sent you over. Uh, also, if you have not already, go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com. It's where all of my episodes to all of my podcasts are, all of my writing that I do, um, more information on me and who I am um, and why you should be listening to this podcast and reading my work and all of that great stuff. Go do that. Go to Chase Thomas Podcast today. If you're an Apple podcast listener, go ahead and leave me five stars and a rating and a review. That's great. I need it. Um, it helps the show continue to grow and all of that good stuff. Um, you can listen on SoundCloud, Spotify, like I said, Apple, Google Play, everywhere where you can get your podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast will be there. So go do that today. Um, all right. I think that's everything. We can get into today's episode. Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right. Welcome back to a post-round one NFL draft podcast on a Friday, Friday afternoon. I am joined by Logan Lamarandier. Said it quick just to make sure that I got it right of line lockdown. His Detroit Lions did not trade out when it seemed like it was going to be an inevitable thing that the Detroit Lions would trade out the number three spot, but they did not. They kept it. They drafted the best cornerback in the draft by all accounts and Jeffrey Okuda uh it it was a it was a good night I think for Lions fans um it was a good night for a lot of NFL teams for the most part not my NFL team but you know it uh you can't always get what you want but my biggest thing to you to start off here Logan is um why was uh Matt Patricia still wearing a pencil while not having anything to jot down around him that would require a pencil (laughs) that's the common question especially during the season when you know, he has a laminated sheet uh, that he's mm-hmm. looking at on the play call sheet, but that's just kind of his thing. You know, it's uh, what he's known for is that pencil behind the ear. I guess once you get used to something, it's hard to break the habit, I guess. But uh, just switch it out for a, that's the question that no one knows. Just switch it out for a marker. If you have the laminated thing and you're going to go over it, switch it out for a pen. Like just th- there's just no reason for a pencil. You can have something <laughs> else in the ear. Just don't put a pencil there because it's just 
we know that you're doing it for a look and like you want to be seen as like a brainiac type thing i don't know it's just like a doing too much type deal and i i I very much loathe it not a fan i mean i get trying to brand (laughs) i'm always about branding figure all that stuff out but i i am not a fan but i am a fan of that pick um for you watching the draft last night now that you've had um the morning to really think about everything that's happened who do you think was the biggest round one surprise it could be a team's decisions it could be a certain player going a certain to a certain team what was your biggest round one surprise i think it has to be probably the raiders which again you should have guessed it from the raiders but picking damon arnett uh the ohio state the other ohio state cornerback mm-hmm. uh, that paired up with jeff okuda while he was there i think he's a really nice player and he was a guy that i personally thought uh he was a little bit slept on but even in the mid first round i you know anytime you're drafting a corner in the first round you'd you'd hope they'd have some at least athletic like some high-end athletic traits and arnett you know was didn't was in the four sixes at the combine um you know it's just one of those deals where it's like there's other guys left on the board but uh i think that was the most surprising uh, Jordan Brooks actually went to the, the Seahawks mm. at the tail end of the first round. I wasn't overly surprised by that. I know there were some rumors that a lot of teams were higher on him than what the media was. And you, you watch his tape and he is, he's, he's all over the field and, uh, 240 pounds. He's a bigger linebacker. That's he's like a very right? athletic. Almost. I mean, yeah. the way he plays his play style, but he's big enough to be a linebacker. So it, it fits that. Seahawks scheme perfectly so I understand why they did it but those are the two names that kind of stuck out to me the most at um you know checking in in the first round the Raiders I mean we should be accustomed to this uh they did this with I mean rugs too and I mean I think what we remember most about this draft at least in round one is what the Dolphins did and what the Raiders did because I think there is a uh, I would I would say there's a lot of praise for one team based on what they did and a lot of just head-scratching like you described with uh, Las Vegas because, I mean, they also took Henry Ruggs. But this was... It, I'm so conflicted with the Raiders because I, I don't know how much of my analysis of the, the Raiders first-round picks of last year um, comes from that Monday Night Football game when Josh Jacobs was imposing his will. Because we were all like, why are you taking Josh Jacobs that early? What are you doing? And then Jonathan Abrams just being a hit stick machine, like coming out as like Brian Dawkins. And people were like, that's a that's a reach, the safety out of Mississippi State. And he looks like he, if he can get healthy, it's going to be a good player. And then you had Colton Miller, who was a reach. And then Oakland or, had a great offensive line last year, like one of the best in football. And you're, I, I, I struggle <laughs> with Vegas a lot because I, I don't like what they did but it's also just like they took an alabama and ohio state kid last year they took an sec kid another sec kid like they're taking head scratchers from premier programs and i i get what mayock and them are doing but it just they just don't care part of like why i like them is that they don't care about any of that they're just like nope damon arnett's couldn't is uh our guy we like him a lot we feel like we can get him in here and paul gunther can can fix the issues that he had at ohio state and you're like well you know what? I like it. I like that you're just like, you know what? We're done with the DJ Haydens. We're done with the Gary on Conley's. We're done taking guys that maybe the uh, NFL draft analysts are like, oh, that's good value or that makes sense there. And they're like, nope, we're going to do something totally different. And we're going to bet on the number three receiver at Alabama to be our own Tyreek Hill. Like, I, 
I just I'm fascinated by their lack of um, care for how the rest of the NFL sees what they're doing. I, I, I enjoy it. Yeah, no, so do I. And that's when they're on the clock, you know, when they picked rugs, you know, it's a little bit of a surprise, but not really. Usually those those burners, you know, the guys that are running the four twos often go high. And, you know, Ruggs is a special player. He's a guy that uh, there's not a lot of people that can do what he does. And it is, they do their own thing and you give him credit. Mayock, uh, you know, when he was still with the NFL network, I think he was my favorite draft analyst in terms of, you know, the national media guys. And he did, he would always go outside the box a little bit with his thinking. And, you know, you know, Gruden's just a little bit of a wild card and (laughs) it's, it's so fun you know, just listening to him break down things. And I know it, some people didn't like him too much when he was in the, in the booth. Uh, but I think for the most part, I always enjoyed what he had to say. And he brought a little bit of, you know, comedy and just quirkiness to the booth that I like. So I, I'm not going to ever really hate on a pick too much. Cause I, I think both of the players they grabbed are good players. It's just a little bit unexpected from the media standpoint. The dolphins, they didn't have to trade up for Tua. They, it seems like a lot of um, NFL draft analysts think that they kind of reached on Austin Jackson, then they got the corner out of Auburn. Um, what do you make of their first round? Because this could have been a disaster. This could have been them taking Herbert at five and then a couple more reaches. Like I think we look at their draft completely different if they go Herbert, Jackson, and um, Iggy, but they did not. Uh, they went to uh, Jackson. Um, Iggy, what do you, what do you make of their strategy there and loading up on corners? Cause they also signed Byron Jones. I mean, they're, uh, I, it, I understand what they're doing. Do you, do you love what they did in round one? Do you think that they won round one of the draft? Do I love it? No. Mm-hmm. I mean, they got three solid players, but, uh, Ibnogany, he, he's a guy who I think, you know, he is a really good man press guy. He's, he's pretty physical and he's a, he's a track guy, you know, he has two parents that are Olympic athletes or were Olympic athletes. So he comes from the right pedigree. But in, again, looking at guys, he went over at cornerback. It's like, okay, everyone has their own flavor of what they look for. And for a team that runs man press, they, they like that type of guy. So I don't, I don't really blame him much for that. Austin Jackson, I would have preferred a guy like Josh Jones over, uh, Jackson. And it was just one of those things where, again, it comes down to preference. Uh, is a guy, Jackson's a super athletic, you know, projects well to be a left tackle, but he still has some work. And then as, as far as Tua goes, them not having to trade up, I think was a big win for them, but you're not necessarily counting on Tua to be, you know, the guy this year. I think you might have to redshirt him just to make sure that he's totally and completely healthy. You don't really want to rush him into anything, but you know, he was, before the injury, Austin Peg is the the number one overall pick. Uh, just, I think there are a couple, you know, worrisome qualities that Tua has. But what you know, are some of those? Pick. So for me, you look at his arm strength. He has a good enough arm, but you know, anytime you're taking a quarterback in the top five, you want him to check all the boxes. And arm strength is usually a big one. And I think it Tua has a very average arm. Uh, his size, not that size is the biggest worry in the world anymore with the style of the NFL. But again, it's, it's not something you would hope for a quarterback to be six foot. You see the Baker Mayfields and the Kyler Murray's, those type of players go, the Russell Wilson's, 
Uh, they've had a lot of success. And I see so many people compare Tua to Russell Wilson, but Tua is not anything near as much of an athlete as Russell Wilson is. Uh, I think there's a lot of, I guess, overhype with Tua and his athleticism. He can move around well in the pocket, but I don't think he has the scrambling ability of somebody like Russell Wilson. So it's just, Did you again, it's, it's nitpicking a little bit. Did you hear about Tua on Dan Patrick's show this week? I didn't. Okay, because he is he he emphasized kind of what you were saying there and that like the the scrambling and moving around the pocket stuff like that like the LSU game where he's just coming back and he's hitting guys on like third and 17 and just making stuff out of nothing but Saban talked about this is that part of the reason that he can't be Russell Wilson is that Russell doesn't get hurt but also Russell doesn't take bad hits and Russell it, it, they're just different and Tua like it drove Nick Saban crazy that Tua would do stuff outside of the pocket or try and find a play that's just not there. And that's when he got hurt. And like he would talk, he would cite to his injuries on situations where he moved around too much and used his athleticism too much, where it actually ended up being a detriment to what he was actually going to do. I mean, too, is one of the best downfield guys in the NFL uh, or in college. But I, I, I found it interesting that Saban po- uh, posited that critique of Tua on the show because he he mentioned that like that's when he gets hurt is when he does those things that you're talking about because like he I, I think in the NFL he can't do that I don't think they should allow him to to do that right they almost had to protect him because he right. did you see him quite a bit like putting his head down and trying to run defensive backs over at times and yeah that's that's gonna have to change especially with his injury history it's just yeah I like I like Tua I do I you know like I said I'm nitpicking a little bit his game but anytime you're taking a top pick, you know, you, you really want someone who doesn't have, I think as many worrisome qualities like Tua has and yeah. his, his production was elite. You know, you can tell he has that anticipation and accuracy. And I think the last thing it's not, uh, you know, it's necessarily anything to do with Tua, but you look at the team around him and he might have the best set of skill players to ever play at the college level on one team. He has four receivers that are likely going to be all top 50 picks. He had Irv Smith and, you know, the running backs that he had and the linemen that he had, he just played with an NFL team and you can't knock him for that, but you you do question just how is that going to translate in the NFL when the receivers aren't getting five yards of separation or he's not, he, he can't necessarily lead a player like Henry Ruggs, just chuck it deep and Henry Ruggs will go get it and outrun the defensive backs. I just, I don't think Tua is necessarily that, you know, generational talent that has been labeled so often. I think that word a lot of times is just thrown around there too loosely. Yeah, I get more of a generational vibe from Joe Burrow, and yep. I would I would be interested to hear what you have have to say about Burrow's fit in Cincinnati because I think people have been way too critical about Cincinnati. Um, people forget that this was a team that very easily could have gone to the Super Bowl if Andy Dalton had not gotten hurt a couple of years back. Like, I think. Dick Turbin is a good uh, evaluator of talent. I think we've seen Cincinnati go through phases where they've just been absolutely loaded with guys. And um, it's not like quarterbacks have not found success in Cincinnati in the 21st century. Uh, Carson Palmer had a very good career there. You had Andy Dalton had a very good career up until the last couple. Um, I think Joe Burrow is in a good situation. I just have questions like the Billy Price pick still one of the worst in the last couple of years. Like that offensive line is a is a struggle but also like i i mean they they found tyler eifert if he's healthy like he's one of the uh, he's just a crazy weapon like when dalton had him and croft 
just as two tight end guys, like he was nickel and diming teams to death and it, it worked really well. And having green and Boyd and just the raw stuff, you can stay healthy. That's been always the thing, but like they, they draft really well, I think outside of the offensive line. And I just wonder from your perspective, is Joe Burrow the type of quarterback that can succeed with the weapons that he'll have around him, but without necessarily a very good offensive line in year one? Are you worried at all about the status of the Cincinnati Bengals offensive line that Joe Burrow is walking into? Yeah, you know, they're picking number one for a reason. And that's any time a quarterback is taken number one, you have to worry about the talent around them because quarterbacks aren't going to come in. You look at all the the younger players who find a ton of success earlier in their career at quarterback, a lot of times it's because the team around them is already a pretty solid team. And the last thing they need on that team is to get a quarterback and that quarterback comes in and puts up big numbers and they win a lot of games and that's all great and good. But yeah, it's going to be a little bit different with Gerald Burrow. AJ Green, I think will help out a lot. You know, obviously if he's healthy and Tyler Boyd is a nice option, John Ross, you know, who knows what he's, he can do but you know at least he's a he's a deep threat has issues with drops but I think Burrow in that offense he has a decent running back too to rely on uh I think Burrow is just going to be I'm not going to say he's a scrambler but he moves well within the pocket and I think he does uh a good manipulating the pocket and avoiding pressure and just with his accuracy he can fit the ball in a lot of windows that quarterbacks can't um at the college level so you hope Usually, accuracy translates pretty well to the NFL. Bad news for Jordan Love. Um, were you surprised <laughs> by the lack of trades that we saw in round one? I really was. I thought there was going to be quite a bit of movement to get a quarterback, uh, especially starting with the Lions at three. You know, being that I cover the Lions, I was really hoping the Lions were. I'm happy they landed Akuda, but it would have been you know even better if they were able to trade back Miami. I think just what happened was that Miami coveted Tua, and I think the Chargers uh, valued Herbert maybe just as much as Tua, if not more. So they kind of called the Lions bluff and figured that there wasn't going to be a quarterback drafted before and they could sit and wait, and it worked out perfectly for both of those teams. So they didn't have to trade. Um, You know, yeah, and maybe who knows what this whole coronavirus pandemic in the virtual draft, how much that had to do with how many trades were made. But I think it still sounded like there was plenty of conversations going on, but I think teams just knew how the jo- the board would kind of play out and they felt comfortable not having to trade up. Cause more often than not, you look at all the teams that usually take a quarterback in the first round. If you don't have the first pick, these teams are usually having to trade up to get to the quarterback. And I think the quarterback needy teams just knew they didn't have to do that this year. Um, the Arizona Cardinals. I tell me if I'm wrong here. You're, but I, I would have just taken CD Lamb or Jerry Judy. I, I I understand Isaiah Simmons. I understand the division that they play in, who they played twice. Um, I understand the idea there. I understand like spying Russell Wilson, spying um all the like Debo Samuel, spying George Kittle, like all that kind of stuff. I I get the idea. I just don't know how yeah. you cover Lamb, Kirk. And uh, Hopkins, Hopkins, I just I don't know. Like, if you want to put fear into a defense, like we have been amazed by some offenses in the last couple years, but like 
I, I genuinely don't know how you stop that with that group and the way they play. I really don't. And I think you kind of overthink it sometimes where it's just like their defense is probably still going to be bad next year. Like Steve Wilkes is going to coach a bad defense here. Like they're still going to be like 24th in defensive DVOA probably. But they could have been number one in offensive DVOA if they had those three out there. And then Larry Fitzgerald as well. I like, I just, I think I would have just, I'm a big proponent of if you're really good at something and you're like, but it can jump you from like six in offensive DBA to number one, I would do it. Like, I, I don't like the idea of the Falcons did this where they're like, oh, we got our CB one. Great. Guess what? The Falcons defense is still going to suck next year. Like my whole thing was guess who's available. A guy that we can put in 11 personnel, 97% of our snaps with Ridley and Julio Jones. You know, what works offense. Do you know what? It's really hard to stop a team that's scoring 42 points a game because teams don't know how to cover all three of these guys. You know what helps Julio Jones? having somebody like CD lamb over there as well, that teams have to be fearful of like we, I, I just, in the way this league is played, I just think it's so over. We just overthink stuff like this. Like the chiefs, 28 of their completions for Mahomes, Kelsey and um, Hill. Like if you look at their targets, like the Patriots do it, they just target teams that you find a matchup and you exploit it to death. That's what you do. You win. Like if you can't stop it, we're going to just bury you with this. I, I mean, the Titans did it with their run game. They just buried people. I don't know why teams still do this thing, especially in round one. Like it's no excuse in round one to draft for need. I just, those kind of reaches, I'm just like, I, I get the Simmons stuff, but like you could have had the best offense in football this fall, I think. Yeah, especially in Kingsbury offense, right. like you mentioned, they could have all those receivers on the field at one time. It, it's not like there's going to be, you're going to have to change your philosophy or your scheme to get those players in the field. They're already going to be on the field. So I, I was a little bit surprised I didn't go offensive tackle or, you know, because that could obviously help him out quite a bit on offense or the wide receiver. But, I mean, Isaiah Simmons, he, he is a freak. But, again, you just you just wonder what could have been. I don't blame them for taking Isaiah Simmons. He is a guy who a lot of people didn't expect to be at eight. And he is just a unicorn. I don't even know what he is. And I, I'm interested to see where they're going to play him. Because as a linebacker, you know, you look at all the highlights and just going by highlights, obviously I've watched more tape than that, but at his highlights, the, when he's making plays, it's just when he's uncovered or when he's in space and he's free. If he's going to be like a middle linebacker type of player, he, he doesn't do great against contact. You know, there's times when he's on the edge and tight ends take him out in the run game. And I would just like to see a player that's a little bit more heavier if he's going to play a true linebacker role, but it's, I think they're going to have to be able to use him the right way and use him all over the field. And he can be special, but that offense, especially when you have a young quarterback like Kyler Murray in an offense that's catered towards the passing game and just wide open offense, a wide receiver would have been a lot of fun there. When you saw Jordan Love was the pick for Green Bay, what did you think? How do you think this plays out for them? Uh, From a Lions fan perspective, I loved it just because I think it's going to create a lot of drama. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Rogers, the last couple of years hasn't, I don't think he's really been the same Rogers that we've known, you know, the, the prime Rogers. And I understand that, you know, sometimes the best time to draft a quarterback is when you don't necessarily need one because it gives you that luxury of having them sit much like Rogers did behind Favre. Uh, love. I, there's a reason he went 26. I, he, I don't think he is a top tier prospect. He has the traits to be a good one. But at the same time, he's got a lot of work. And, um, you know, for a guy that's like Rodgers, who in his entire career 
has never had a first round skill position player drafted for him in the first round. I just think it's kind of odd that they wouldn't try to at least have one more year of really surrounding Rodgers with as much talent as you can. Their defense has improved where they could really make a run. I don't think this first round pick does much of anything this year for him though. Is there any way to, to sell the Falcons fans on uh, AJ Terrell there? Is there any way to sell it? Uh, <laughs> I don't, I actually had Terrell, the Lions didn't pick a Cuda in the first round. I really liked Terrell as a man cover corner, a guy who has some pretty fluid hips and has the length of a starter corner and at very athletic. You know, he has everything you look for. He checks all the boxes. Like I've mentioned a few times, you want guys to check all the boxes. Terrell does it. I think a lot of times people just remember the national championship game where he was getting torched pretty good, but I, I can't really sell it outside of the fact that he, he does have everything you look for in a corner. I just, I don't know. I, I forgot. I think it was PFF Sam who was talking about this in the podcast earlier this week, where the the amount of cornerback turnover in the last couple of years is insane. Like the amount of early round cornerbacks who are like no longer with their team or just burned. Like it's, you need as many corners as possible, but also just how volatile it is and how hard it is to find good corners, which um, as a Lions fan, you should be, I guess, a little nervous about like Okuda checks every block, but, um, you never know with these guys. Like you just, some guys seem like short things and, um, uh, they're not, I, it, it's hard. Like, I still have no idea what to make of Isaiah Oliver. Uh, you now have Desmond Trufant who literally has some of the worst hands I've ever seen a cornerback have. Like he dropped a billion interceptions <laughs> in his time with the Falcons. So enjoy that. Enjoy that Logan, because when oh, you drop I can't that wait. first pick six, you're going to be like, Oh, Okay, cool. This is fun. I'm here for this ride. Um, another interdivision question for you. The Vikings. They trade that uh just Stefan Diggs for a first round pick. They end up getting Jefferson. They get a good corner out of TCU. It still feels like a loss to me. I I, I like Jefferson. Um he was good for LSU last year, but he's not Stefan Diggs. Like Stefan Diggs is one of the best cornerbacks in foot or best receivers in football. I, I I think the Bills can now say they won that trade and it's not even close. I think had they been able, if that pick was earlier, if that Bills pick was in the range where they could have drafted a Judy or a Lamb, I think we look at it differently. But Jefferson just doesn't, he doesn't check the box of just like, yeah, this guy can be as good as Stefan Dix. Is that fair? Yeah, Jefferson had a great season last year. He played almost purely out of the slot. Uh, I I think Jefferson is a little bit underrated where the Vikings selected him. I don't have a problem at all with where he went. Um, so I think that was decent value, but again, it's like, you know, look at Stefan Diggs. Is he going to be a Stefan Diggs year one? Probably not. And so, yeah, that's a little bit of a loss. And then even looking at, you know, Gladney out of TCU, the cornerback with the guys they lost, you know, they, they invested heavily at the cornerback position in the draft over the last few years. And none of it has really panned out for them. So they're just adding another one to that group. And Gladney is a guy who he's a little on the smaller side, but a pretty tenacious defender and a guy who that uh, he's got the speed and man coverage ability. But yeah, when you look at those two picks, it's not necessarily um, something that I'm overly concerned about being that they're in the same lines division. Yeah. I mean, you, a lot of, a lot of movement in your division outside of the bears who just, uh, we're, we're absent along with the Steelers. Um, 
is it fair for me to be really concerned about what Tom Telesco did with Los Angeles? Because I'm not a Herbert guy. I still found it odd that, I mean, now we know why they didn't go Cam Newton um, in free agency to this point, but I, I don't know. Like, it just seems odd that Anthony Lynn, a Greg Roman uh, guy, and moving on from Philip Rivers felt like they were going to transition into more of a speedy Baltimore-ish style offense. And now that you bring in Herbert, it's just, that's not what you're going to do. And I saw the comp with um, Murray being like, he was going to be awesome if the year was 2003, but the way the linebacker position is played in the NFL in 2020, he doesn't fit, but he's a good leader by all accounts, like tackling machine, but he doesn't get interceptions. He doesn't have pass breakups. He's not someone you can have on third down. I, I, I just think that there is a lot of room for this first round to be a disaster for Los Angeles is, and I, I'm a big fan of the rest of the roster. And I think Telesco by and large has done a great job building that team. Um, just had some unfortunate injury luck. I just, I think both of those guys, I just have my doubts about both of them in the NFL. Is that fair? Yeah. Kenneth Murray, he's a guy who actually, his film reminds me a lot of the Lions linebacker, Jared Davis, where he's a missile to the ball. I know. And it's kind of the same struggles and and pass coverage, but if they have a free range of the ball, they're just uber athletes where they can make, go make a play. But uh, there's a lot of missed tackles. Uh, there's just some refinement that needs to be made with Murray and you know, he could end up better than Jared Davis It's probably likely that he would. Uh, Jared Davis has not been great the past couple seasons and he is playing maybe a little bit out of position and Matt Patricia's scheme being that he was drafted to be like a Mike backer in the four three uh, with Terrell Austin's screen before that regime went to the wayside in Detroit. But Kenneth Murray, he, he's just somebody who is all over the field, but he does have his flaws and, I would be fine with the pick if the Chargers didn't give up as much as they did to go get him. And then with, with Herbert, you know, again, it's it's a guy who has a lot of skill. He looks looks the part. He's a he's a pretty good athlete, but he has some mechanical issues. You see him forcing the ball. There's just times on his film where you're kind of questioning if he's even a first round pick or not. And there's other times, you know, when he can just put the ball in any spot due to his arm strength all over the field. And it's like, okay, well that's why he's projected to be, you know, a, a top 10 pick. So I, you have to take them with their need at quarterback. That's, I feel like that was the right pick for them. They had to take the chance there. Hmm. All right. Last thing and we'll wrap up here. Your favorite day two targets for today, recording this before uh, tonight. Um, yeah, I'm completely here for you picking Jalen hurts, who I still think is going to be the third best quarterback out of this, this class. I think he's going to be really good for a long time, but anyway, your, your, your answer. So in terms of the Lions, I think A.J. Epinesa is mm. the natural scheme fit and a guy who before the combine was, uh, especially early in the, the draft process, you know, in the mock drafts and the Lions were still picking around like seven or eight. Epinesa was frequently the guy who was pegged to the Lions just due to the fact that you knew his athletic limitations, but that's not really what the Lions look for in the defensive line. They want guys like Trey Flowers that can win with power kind of have that long arm technique, play the run really well, can move inside on occasion. And the Lions defensive ends, you know, even Romeo Aquara, the defensive end behind Trey Flowers, still played over 50% of snaps last year. So they rotate him in quite a bit. And like I said previously, they can move him inside on passing downs. I think that makes a lot of sense for them. 
I always like to see a little bit more of an athlete at the position, but the, again, that's not the lions. That's not really what they look for. That's not what they prioritize. And then, you know, there's a lot of, there's so many good receivers still up in the board, defensive tackles, I think the same. And then that running back Clyde Edwards Hilaire went first and the, what seemed to be the consensus top three running backs, J.K. Dobbins, DeAndre Swift, Jonathan Taylor are all still there. And I think it's one of those times where value, yes, the position is devalued, but the Lions haven't had a running game <laughs> since Matthew Stafford's been drafted. The Lions have never had a running game in the top half of the league and they're averaging the fewest yards in the NFL over Stafford span as well. So I think it'd be a huge get for them if they were able to actually have a nice threat out of the backfield that if he gets the ball, they can take it to the house. Shots fired at carry on Johnson. (laughs) I like carry on, but he's had his injury issues and uh, he just, he's not a guy that teams have to scheme for, you know, he's in the backfield and I think he's, a good player, but again, he wouldn't be. Where's the my type, guy like Zach Jonathan Center. Taylor? Yeah. Maybe it's Zach Center. Zach Center. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Is he still? I don't even know where he's at right now. I know he is with the Saints for a sec, but yeah, he was. He's another one of those guys. He was kind of a fan favorite, uh, undrafted free agent, and he actually played well when he got an opportunity. He just never really. I'm a Center guy. Did anything super special? Yeah, bring him in. Bring him back. Bring the South Dakota State legend back. All right, man. Well, this has been great. I appreciate the time. I know you got to run. Logan, what can we check out from you this week on Line Lockdown or anywhere else? Yeah, so my Twitter handle, that's where I, you know, really do the most work. That's at L Lamarandier. And you can find me at SI All Lions. I write there on a weekly basis. Uh, LionLowdown.com will have my link to Twitter as well. I have a Instagram account, a Facebook page. So, uh, really anywhere. You can find me all over the place, but Twitter is the spot to be if uh, that's where I usually do the most interaction. All right. Go do that. Logan, keep up the great work, sir, and uh, I will talk to you soon. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Talk soon. All right. That'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. Thank you uh, to the wonderful guests for coming on today's show. Thank you uh, to my wonderful listeners for listening to today's episode. Uh, I greatly appreciate it. Um, if you like today's episode, leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple. It would be great. Um, It helps the show continue to grow and I would very much appreciate it. Uh, You can also support the show on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. For as little as $5 a month, it helps the show keep the lights on. So that would be a great help to me as well. Uh, You can also follow me on Twitter at Chase underscore Thomas. You could go to ChaseThomasPodcast.com, which has all of my stuff, all my episodes ever, um, links to everything that you need, um, and all of my writing that uh, I'm doing fairly often these days um, on the NFL, on NBA, on college football, on pro wrestling. I write about everything. I write a lot. Um, so go read me on that front. So if you're not tired of listening to me, you can also read me. Um, so that's awesome. But uh, I think that's enough self-promotion from me for one episode. Uh, I hope you continue listening. That would be great. And uh, I will talk to you all again very soon. Thanks, guys. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.